Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 335. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, recorded May 9, 2023. And I'm Brian Aachen. I'm Michael Kennedy. And uh, we've got a sponsor, InfluxDB. Thanks, Influx. We'll hear more about them later. If you'd like to connect with us and talk to us uh, in sort of real time or async, uh, we've got all of us are on Mastodon, all of us, all two of us, but at, at M. Kennedy, at Fostodon, at Brian Aachen, and at Python Bytes, we're all on Fostodon. So you raise a philosophical issue. The United States, the laws may be gone too far to be business friendly in some ways, and businesses have the same rights as a person. Not, does a podcast? I don't know. Huh? You said all three of us are oh. on. on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh. Does the podcast have pronouns? Does it, what rights does our podcast have? I, I'm very curious now, but maybe we got to think about that later. Uh, my podcast identifies as a podcast. <laughs> it identifies as MP3. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so let's kick off the wonderful show um, with a cool topic. Yes. Talking about trust. So, Brian, one of the ways in which you automatically publish or even within your system publish things to PyPI is you take your one and only permanent API key and you put it in that in whatever location that is. So some people will go and publish from GitHub through GitHub Actions. And in the action, it says, here's where your username goes, here's where your API key goes. And it may be a little known fact that people, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but if you're on the command line and you do Git Actions like Git pull and it says, oh, enter your username, boom, enter your username, enter your password, you can enter that API key and that will allow you to do like full CLI access presumably, depending on, um, actually that's the get one. So I'm, I'm crisscrossing these, but nonetheless, putting your PyPI API key into GitHub Actions and other CI CD places and scripts, not ideal, right? Yeah. So last month, a couple of weeks ago, Dustin Ingram, uh, one of the folks at PyPI um, said, we're introducing trusted Publishers. So starting today, PyPI package maintainers can adopt a new, more secure publishing method that does not require long-lived passwords or API tokens to be shared with external systems, such as GitHub Actions and others. Okay. Okay. So what you can do instead is you can create like an open ID OAuth type of connection between PyPI for your account and GitHub. Yeah. And when you do that, then when that uh, that action runs, instead of saying, what is the API key? It says, let me through OpenID connect, exchange, uh, say, we trust each other for this user. Give me a 30 second valid token that I can use, or I'm, I'm making up 30 seconds, but give me a, a token that I can use, a short lived token that just for this publish or just for this interaction is authenticated and then will immediately expire. Oh, think of that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool, right? Um, yeah, so basically you just connect those and you're good to go. The These API tokens, because they're regenerated and short-lived, never need to be or should be stored. They are not shared. They rotate automatically because they are invalid. They invalidate themselves. And uh, this is not quite as obvious, but if somebody says, this user logged in and published this version of a package to PyPI, and there's one API key, well, I don't know. <laughs> was that really the user? Where were they? Were they on vacation when they were at that IP address? Or was that a, a hacker? Was that a CI system? We don't know. But because this actually understands what system is requesting the token, they say that it provides a verifiable link between a published package and its source. 
which I think is pretty cool. I think? Although, what what if yeah. somebody hacks into my GitHub Actions and? Yeah, well, it it only goes one level out in the the okay. ring of <laughs> trust, right? Okay. So yeah, that, I mean that is possible for sure. Uh, speaking of what if somebody uh, hacks into my GitHub Actions, you can see in the the doc that the blog post that they publish, it shows this is the part that you add permissions ID right, <laughs> ID token is right, and that's it. Versus here is your uh, username and password, right? So that's mm. cool. It says additional security hardening is available. You can further increase the security of your release workflow by configuring trusted publishers only to release from a specific GitHub Action environment. I don't do anything with that to that degree with GitHub Actions, but basically with GitHub Action environments, you can um, set rules and workflows around that environment, such as requiring manual approval for each run by a set of trusted people who are repository maintainers, right? Mm. So even if it gets hacked, you know, it's not enough that the organization, the GitHub organization has a workflow that will push it. You might be able to, you might want to set it up so that it says in order to push um, PyTest check out of this environment automatically when we're going to production, right? Shipping a build, it's got to, you've got to go push a button as Brian Aukin on GitHub. Okay. Interesting. Okay. That is, uh, optional but strongly recommended and finally right now from my understanding this just works with github actions however it this infrastructure to make this possible is now in place so it can be integrated with many more things so introducing trusted publishers if you maintain important packages this might be worth looking at oh, that's pretty cool thanks indeed yeah over to you well this um uh this this Topic is on fire. Um, it is so, on fire. So uh, Modular released a, uh, a, a state, uh, you know, a video and a statement. I think it was on the second of the month. Uh, so it's been almost a week, but you know, uh, time moves fast in the software world. So uh, Mojo, Modular announced Mojo. Mojo is a new programming language for all AI developers. And although I'm not an AI developer, we are all uh, AI developers now. <laughs> I think uh, either anyway. you're in the machine or you are controlling it. Dig your pick. Yes, exactly. Um, so anyway, so what is Mojo? So the and also I want to thank everybody that suggested this. We got like a whole bunch of people suggested this. Said, "Have you seen this?" And don't feel bad if you if you see a new new topic and you think, "Yeah, somebody's probably already told told you guys." Tell us anyway. We like it. And mm -hmm. uh, anyway, so Mojo, a new programming language. What what is it? So it is kind of like Python-ish. It looks like Python. So it actually, supposedly, the, one of the goals is it's going to be a superset of them. So it's, so it's not there yet, but it has. It's they want to do uh, kind of like Python, but extra stuff that's C++-ish, like structs and and in in strict types and everything. Is, is this like your programming world has crashed together and is now trying to become one? Like, I uh, hope the, so. The the tectonic plates of Brian Hawkins' <laughs> programming I, uh, experience. I'm pretty excited about it, actually. Not not for AI stuff, but uh, for hardware yeah. things. I think that it, th this this would be kind of fun. So, well, so what's the big deal? It's um uh compiled and fast. Um in in the order of like thousands of times faster. Uh, in some cases, supposedly. So uh, but so what? It, one of the things we're gonna link to the uh, Mojo. Uh, web page where how you can get started it's hard to get started right now but we'll get to that um so there's a there's also a fast ai um uh doc, like announcement blog post but also a video with jeremy howard 
Um, it's a really fascinating read. And why is this kind of, where's this coming from? Are you, if you're not familiar with modular, which I wasn't really, um, these are the same people that kind of brought us LLVM. Um, so yeah, Chris uh, the, Latner and crew. Yeah. So there's, there's, a, there's a lot of excitement around it. Um, and, uh, it's not an LLVM. It is. So I had to look this up. LLVMs are what low level virtual machine is what it started out with, but we kind of know it is almost all languages are built on top of it right now. So Mojo is not that it's multi-level intermediate representation. It's a MLIR instead. So uh, do I care? Probably not, but um, it's a, so anyway, there's a announcement. It probably does mean it has a lot of targets that it can compile for, right? Giving you that intermediate flexibility. Yeah. Um, and it's in, it doesn't have some of the, there are some limitations with the LLVM that it doesn't have because it's a little different. Um, so I don't completely know it, but there's uh it's kind of a fun video. Um, I've been playing with it just a little bit. So if you, uh, right now, what's the stage of it? You can't get it for your local machine. So you, um, you have to sign, you have to like, if you want to go to the normal page, you say, get started. And it, has you sign up on a list, a waiting list. And luckily I got in. Yay. Um, so I got to play with it and uh the a little bit. So when you when you drop into it and play with it, you get a Jupyter notebook thing. Um and the Jupyter notebooks are already filled out with like a hello world and or hello mojo and you get to walk through it and you get to see some of the different stuff. So it's got definitions or defs, but you have these let statements. So you can, uh, that's different. Um, we don't have to do lets and, and vars in uh, declarations in Python. So it's, you can do normal Python. Kind of the neat thing about having it be kind of like Python is you're kind of used to it already. You don't have to learn something new, but also it's compatible with external libraries. So you can uh, hook in things that are already built in pure Python that can be hooked in too. That's the part where I'm curious about. Can I just forget about all this other machine language, uh, low-level stuff, and can I just use this to compile my Python? Don't know that yet. Um, yeah, I don't know what the integration with other libraries is. Like the example had um, clearly indicated like NumPy integration. Yeah. But can I use Flask with it, for example, right? I, I don't know. Yeah, don't know. I mean, these are inter yeah, I don't know either. Um, this is very exciting. I did, uh, I did want to point out that we are correcting... Uh, a mistake that we made at PyCon, Brian. Uh, no, not just last week. Somebody out in the comment during the live stream last time or in the YouTube video and said, I'm telling y'all folks, I'm really not believing what I'm hearing. How can they not be talking about Mojo? Oh. <laughs> so, uh, hmm. yeah. But well, so what do you think? That, well, okay. So, one, it sounds very exciting. Two things rubbed me the wrong way quite a bit from the start that it's behind a an sort of mailing list paywall, not paywall, but like, gated wall yeah right that that just seems it seems off to the the wrong start okay. right if, if you want to get a lot of uh, attraction i Open think source. you know put yeah. it out there maybe maybe you've got to sign up in order to um run the compilers on on a jupyter notebook in the cloud because they're not totally tested and stable or, or something along those lines that would be totally fair but like it doesn't tell you if it's open source or not. It doesn't share mm -hmm. a GitHub repository. It doesn't share a way in which uh, it expresses what this is going to be. Is this a thousand dollar a month subscription? Is this open source? Is it both? <laughs> right? Is it like 
oh gosh, what was it called? Codon. I believe some people were like so excited about Codon. It's like it's it's under the model of if it's if you've got to ask what the price is, it's it's too expensive for you. Oh yeah. Which like okay, I'm not going to get super excited about investing in that, even if it is neat and powerful. So that that said, everyone seems to be super excited about it. I love the way the language looked for like a, a more compiled way. I think there's a lot of possible Python integrations. Like we already talked about, hey, could I run Flask? Like, is it so close that we could just make our stuff go faster when we need it if we're willing to say decorate our our variable declarations with a let or a var? Right. Yeah. I, I might be willing to do that if my code could run a thousand times faster. Yeah. Um, there's some, but I don't know. It's like, I, it's not clear to me how much, uh, sort of community there is versus product, yeah. which I don't, I'm not saying you shouldn't have one or the other. They're both fair, but it doesn't say and that. And it's behind a, a like a, a sign up wall, which makes me wonder, right? Yeah. It just makes me feel less excited about it, which is why I didn't cover it last week. I'm like, eh, maybe, I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Also the rough edges, there's a rough edges section of like roadmap and rough edges. And some of them are really big missing things like tuples. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like tuples not supported. Sure. Class is not supported. Well, uh, yeah, uh, that's a lot of Python that you can't use without classes. So, yeah. Well, and maybe this is it's just early and they're just showing it. And, yeah. and if it's coming, that, that is totally good. So I just... I don't know. When I first saw it, though, the like here, like sign up for our mailing list so that you can maybe look at it. It's like, uh, what is this thing here? And it doesn't express. There's no GitHub repo linked. Like, uh, I don't know. So I have a lot of hope for it, but I'm just not. I'm gonna just withhold my assessment uh, of like the impact I think it will make yet because of it of that. Could, right? I whistled. It could have quite an impact if it if could. if we get everybody able to play with it. And it's 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 just gonna be. I mean. It, it was there's a lot of people talking about it this week but uh it seems like there's a new trend every week so and anyway yeah i'm a little suspect is it written in rust i'm not sure it is just kidding um <laughs> that's where <laughs> how can it be stuff. cool if it's not written in rust <laughs> i know that's that's exactly my point that seems <laughs> where all the action is right now which is is cool but uh, uh it's also worth pointing out for people who are not putting it together that chris lotner is also the person behind the Swift programming language, yeah. which is a, a pretty interesting language that's also borrowed a lot from Python. So it, it is exciting. The other thing that is it's sold as a make AI work fast, but like Python. That's awesome. And it's a, it's a cool focus, but it, it doesn't speak to um, a goal of like, hey, we could bring more and more Python until it's like a 90% case that's awesome that we could do many things with. If it's really focused on, you know, running Python code on on GPUs and and just like really really focused in on the AI stuff. So uh, that's the other comment that I wanted to make about like where's this going. So we'll see. But yeah, a lot of people are excited. I mean, I would yeah. say honestly, we have not received more listener recommendations that we cover something than this. Yeah. I mean, maybe the only other thing was Guido retiring from from uh, BDL it was the only other thing that we got like that much. Uh, that much Mastodon Twitter email about. So thank you all for sending that in. Um, yeah. These are my thoughts. I would love to see it succeed, uh, but I just don't know quite uh, where it's going or what it's going to be yet. Yeah, I guess my optimism comes from the where it's coming from. The people involved have a yeah. history of doing things that are helpful to the community. So yeah, hopefully. it absolutely has yeah. uh, you know big hitters behind it. So it's got a way better chance than just somebody publishing something cool. Okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's certainly worth uh, keeping track of it. Um, so next up, I would like to talk about our sponsor. 
No, right on. InfluxDB. So this episode of Python Bytes is brought to you by InfluxData, the makers of InfluxDB. InfluxDB is a database purpose-built for handling time series data at a massive scale for real-time analytics. Developers can ingest, store, and analyze all types of time series data, metrics, events, traces in a single platform. So, dear listener, let me ask you a question. How would boundless cardinality and lightning-fast SQL queries impact the way you develop real-time applications? InfluxDB processes large-time series data sets, data sets, and provides low-latency SQL queries, making it a go-to choice for developers building real-time applications and syncing crucial insights. For developer efficiency, InfluxDB helps you create IoT, analytics, and cloud applications using time-stamped data rapidly and at scale. It's designed to ingest billions of data points in real time with unlimited cardinality. InfluxDB streamlines building once and deploying across various products and environments from the edge on-premise and to the cloud. Try it for free at pythonbytes.fm slash InfluxDB. That link is also, of course, in our show notes. Thanks for sponsoring the show. Yep. Thank you, InfluxDB. Now, let's talk about some Django. Okay. Some, all right. So in Django, I want to introduce uh, something called Django Prose. Doesn't it just make you want to write? Just sit down and do, you know put on your your best Ernest Hemingway impression and just start writing. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. But this thing is a uh, a rich text editor that you plug in to, I believe, into the admin section, the admin backend for Django. Yeah. Okay. So wonderful rich text editing for your Django project. Right. So what you do is you install it, you add it as one of your apps, and then you have to run some migrations because it needs some database backend stuff to keep track of uh, what it's working on. And then finally, you set up a URL for it, and then you're good to go. And there's different ways in which you can work with it. It can control basically the entire page uh, because it's more or less HTML. And so you can just say, show me the document.content. Now, when you render that in your Django templates, this is HTML and Django templates, like many of the templating languages are smart and say, yeah, no, if we just let people type in here, they're gonna type angle bracket, JavaScript, hackswars.com, dot, 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 right? Uh, so they're going to HTML encode that, which will show it up as like view source, right? So you gotta do a pipe safe um, to say, okay. nope, don't encode it, just drop the HTML straight in there, which in which case, this should not be used by untrusted individuals, right? Um, you can also have um, ORM models, and the ORM model itself can have a rich text field type, which is kind of interesting, right? Yeah. And then you can um, show that as part of your template. And again, you've got to pipe safe that because if not, it won't work. Um, and then you can even have a, a separate um, table with a a foreign key relationship to the content for like large uh, documents. So there's a lot of stuff with not just dropping an editor into the admin section, but actually integrating that into the Django ORM and models, which is where I think it gets, you know, worth paying attention to over some of the other just JavaScript front ends for HTML editing. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It even has a form support uh, for um, rendering out um, editable forms and attachments, uh, all those sorts of things. It also only allows a subset of tags and attributes, and it uses the Bleach library, which I don't know how familiar people are with Bleach, but Bleach uh, is, is kind of interested. Uh, apparently, it's 
deprecated, although I, you're just using it for whitelisting. I don't know really hmm. you know, why it would make a change, right? Like these are the 20 uh, tags and, and whatnot that are allowed and they're still going to be allowed. But anyway, if you want to see, there's both a picture. Um, that's larger than I was hoping for. There's a picture uh, of basically what it looks like. And you can imagine it's like a rich text editor or online blog thing. And it has an editing section and a preview section as well as a video tutorial. So if you're doing Django and you want rich text editing that renders, that basically edits raw HTML in a nice way, WYSIWYG, as they said back in the day, uh, you can go and check this out and check out Django Pros. Nice. Hey, yep. so have you ever heard the, um, uh, you know, if, there was, if you had a writing group in a penitentiary, it would be pros and cons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so. Pro, um, pros from cons. <laughs> I love it. That's good. Yeah, we're we're jumping ahead. The joke comes at the end, Brian. Come okay. On. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, um, don't, don't get ahead. Okay. So uh, I want to talk with uh, speaking of rich. Uh, I want to talk about Pylizer. Um, actually, not rich. <laughs> Rust. Um, so Pylizer. So this was uh, suggested by Owen. Thanks, Owen. Um, and uh, this is a project that is, it reminded me of Ruff a little bit. So uh, it is, Pylizer is a co static code on an analyzer um, in a language server for Python written in Rust. Just cool. Um, some of the details on it, I'm a little, um, I don't quite understand. But anyway, it's a Rust thing uh, that can analyze your code. So what is the big deal? Why don't we have, um, what is, what, speaking of Ruff, what's the difference? Well, um, so Ruff is uh, like Pilot. Ruff is a static code analysis, um, but Ruff is just your linter. It doesn't do type checking in a language server. So Pylizer has a, a little bit more. It's a little does more, a little more linting. It can do things like checking for out of bounds errors and things. So it isn't a replacement for Ruff. You would run both of them if you want. And they're so fast that why not? So uh, and that's one of the things because it's written in Rust. It's quick. It's very fast. But that's not. The only thing, because you always want, you also want like good uh, error messages. So that's uh, one of the selling points. Apparently, is a detailed analysis. Um, it can check a whole bunch of stuff, but it also is readable. So it'll it'll do you know tell you what's wrong and uh, and it's supposedly it does things like underlining where where the problem is and what you should do instead. Um, maybe so this is. This kind of looks like fun, actually. So yeah, that, that is a really nice error message. It has like a tree structure under the under the error thing. It says expected stir, but found int. Hmm. Yeah, kind of reminds yeah, me of some cool. of the the new stuff in Python to to help you with problems. exactly the three eleven error message improvements. Yeah, um, and especially if it's going to do this sort of stuff, language server, I'd like it integrated with a uh, editor, right? So this this does have a VS Code extension that you can integrate that and use that instead of the built-in uh whatever vs code uses i can't highlance 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 is pretty good though so anyway uh i'm not sure uh, so how it works so the, here's the stuff that i don't quite get part is uh it uses a type checker from the erg programming language erg 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 it must be a i've never heard of erg <laughs> interesting <laughs> um i haven't heard of it either so i'm not quite sure maybe it's faster that way but it does that I don't know if there's limitations, but there's it's a uh, project in the rather early stages. I think it's got a lot of stuff going on for it, but I, I think it's neat that they listed a to do list and the things they haven't done yet. So it doesn't check for finals and other things, but it does quite a bit. That's still pretty good. So new tool. Neat. Uh, all right. Are you ready for a joke or you got an extra? I no extras today, but I'm ready for a joke. Awesome. Me too. This one 
comes to us from Arthur Rio and says, this joke might be right up your alley. Okay. So what this is, is it says escape room. So it's, it's an escape room. Like, you know, the, like the kind of thing where you, you go and you got to find the clues to get out. And if you don't find the clues, you're going to be stuck in there. Yeah. So this, this person with a big smiling anticipation is walking into the escape room, finds a skeleton sitting at a laptop, like a, a person who died is just gone, right? And starts to get really worried. Like maybe this escape room is too serious for me. Looks yeah. over the shoulder and realizes what they are doing is they're in Vim trying to get out of it. That's so mad. I know. Oh, you, so mad. Yeah. Go ahead. You just have to hit escape. I know. And well, and look, look at the person who says there's always a way. <laughs> a completely beaten, Oof. smashed MacBook. How did that happen? I don't know. Somebody but there's always a way. It? Or something. Yeah, it, looks, it does look like he got run over and then they opened it. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's, well, it's not ideal. But the escape room, I thought you'd appreciate that one. Yeah. Why is that <laughs> such a big thing? Like, I don't know. It's one of <laughs> frustrating old joke of like, people are always going to make fun of it. I know. Them. You could do the same for Emacs. Yeah. How do you quit Emacs? I, mean, I Emacs, don't even know. Yeah. It's like a chord. I, I forgot what it was. Like, you know. You have to play guitars chords. for it? Yeah, you do. It's... Um, <laughs> that's why it takes so long. First you learn guitar, then you <laughs> First, can you say you save or exit. <laughs> <laughs> uh anyway so awesome well i i guess that's an episode uh, that would be episode 335 in the bag yeah um thanks everybody for listening thanks michael you bet fun as always see ya bye